0: Well, good morning everyone. Welcome here to uh, St. John's and this wonderful session on Sunday morning. And I am honored to have the opportunity to converse with the Honorable John H. Dalton, the 70th Secretary of the Navy of the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about that experience. But I have the honor of knowing John and wonderful Margaret, his wife, through the White House Historical Association where I have the privilege of being president, and John is a long time member of our board of directors and is still deeply involved in our work there and a strong supporter of our work as well. So John, thank you for your leadership and all that you've given to our work at the White House Historical Association. And I would point out that we talk about this area as the president's neighborhood here, just across from the White House and historic St. John's Church, which I believe every president since Madison has been here for some occasion or another. So it's wonderful to share this neighborhood with uh, St. John's. But John, let's talk about your wonderful book here, uh, which is not the culmination of a career because you are still having an impact uh, in many, many ways. But this is a pause point to reflect on an extraordinary life and an extraordinary career. So tell us how and why you decided to write uh, this book? Well,
1: I had no intention of writing a book, but I'd be telling some story and the person I was telling it to said, you need to write a book. And I dismissed it for the first few times, but after it got to be more and more, I think, I thought, maybe I should. And And uh, at my retirement party from the Housing Policy Council, uh, I said, I'm thinking about writing a book, and I got this thunderous applause and (laughs) people yelled, please do it, yeah, do it. And and, uh, so I wrote at the helm,
0: and I'm glad I did. Well, you do something that's different than some authors. Some authors want the money, they want the proceeds, but you're giving all the proceeds from this book, giving that away. Well,
1: I have been blessed by this church and by the Washington National Cathedral where we're now members and also from the Naval Academy Foundation, I'm giving the proceeds, some of the proceeds to them. And Community Renewal International, which is a, an organization that builds communities house by house and block by block. And if we want to bring it to Washington, D.C., where every district is represented, and where every embassy around the world is here, so we thought it would be a great place to have it. And so, I'm pleased to give the proceeds to this book, what what I would earn uh, to, to those three
0: organizations. Well, tell us about the cover. You held up the book and it's a John H. Dalton, the Secretary of the Navy and at the helm. Tell us about the cover and why that title? Well, this cover
1: is on the USS Constitution and we had the privilege of sailing in her when she sailed for the first time in 116 Mm. years under her own power and The whole Massachusetts delegation was there, including the two senators. And even Walter Cronkite, who loved to sail, was there. And as you all recall, he was the anchor of CBS Evening News and did a great job. And even the Blue Angels were there
0: to salute us. Oh, that's great! And where did that take place, John? It was
1: in, uh, it was in Massachusetts. Oh, was wow.
0: Yeah. Well, in the, the preface to the book that you write, there's a wonderful quote by former American ambassador to the Court of St James in London, uh, Phil. Later, and I'd like to read that quote and have you react to it because. It's obviously important to you to include it in the preface, but you also make reference to it in the, on, the, on the cover. And that quote is, everyone in this room is very busy and has a lot of balls in the air. Three of those balls are crystal. And if you break one of those, you have a big problem. They are your family, your friends, and your faith. Be sure and nurture them. If so, they will be there for when you need them. Well,
1: those three things have been with me all my life. I, I have, was blessed with a great family. Uh, my mother took me to the Billy Graham crusade and I heard him and, and uh, you know, it's been, it's, It's the friends, if if you're gonna be a friend, you need to make friends, and I have focused on that. And uh, my family, my friends, and my faith have been with me all through my life, and they have helped me through some difficult
0: times. Well, the Navy has obviously been um important part of your life, starting with your time at the Academy, but you didn't have the traditional path to the Academy. Tell us where you grew up and how you ended up at the Naval Academy.
1: Well, uh, I had an older sister who was 10 years my senior, and I have an older brother who is six years older, and I saw how my parents sacrifice to send him to college. And I wanted to go, I was a pretty good athlete, and I wanted to go to football, go to college on a football scholarship. And I had a career-ending knee injury in the, in the, playing football in my sophomore year. And so, welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, And so, I went to the doctor and he said I could forget about contact sports. And he even said, If you take care of your knee, you may be able to dance with your wife and play nine holes of golf, but you can forget about contact sports. About that time, we had an inspirational school board member speak to one of our assemblies, and he said he wanted his son to go to the U.S. Naval Academy, because that was the best overall education a young man could get, and I said, "Aha! That's what I need. That's what I, where I'll go." And I went, I went over to school that day, and I told my brother, "I want to go to the U.S. Naval Academy." And he's he the next day at work, he wrote our congressman and asked for. The application package, and and uh, it it was it was the only applied to the Naval Academy, and I learned late in my senior year that I had not received the appointment. And as luck would have it, my next door neighbor. Uh, Worked at Glenwood Drug uh, a Drug Store right across the street from my high school, and and so she would gonna t- uh, our our Congressman Overton Brooks had breakfast there every morning that the <laughs> Congress was not in session, and she would tell me when he's gonna be there, and I. I did. She did, and I went right up to him to make my case, and I told him that I had been to LSU the year before, and that I had applied for the Naval Academy appointment and didn't get in, and, and I had done very well at LSU. I was elected ple- president of my pledge class, I was elected to represent the student, the uh, freshman class, to the student government association, and I was initiated into Phi to Sigma, uh, a college academic. Uh, I was introduced. I was initiated into that fraternity and. I said, if you will give me your principal appointment, you will not regret it. <laughs> and he did, and I was off to Annapolis, and I hope he doesn't second guess
0: his decision many years later. <laughs> well, we could talk all day probably about stories while you were midshipmen at the academy, but you and I recently recorded another podcast that's going to be released. In November, around the 60th anniversary, anniversary of uh, President Kennedy's assassination, and while a midshipman at the academy, you had the privilege and distinction of two elements of the Kennedy presidency that you participated in. Tell us about those. Well,
1: I was I was uh, at President Kennedy's inauguro- inauguration and the whole brigade of midshipmen, he wanted to have a big Navy presence because the Navy meant a lot to him and he, he learned some of his leadership skills there. And we marched in his uh, inaugural parade, and I was asked, I was serving as deputy. Brigade Commander, and I was asked to lead the honor company in his funeral procession when he was killed uh, my senior year. He was elected my freshman year, and he was killed my senior year, and, and I'll never forget that. That was a great honor and people were crying on the streets, and people climbed up in trees. I mean, it was
0: something to behold. Mm -hmm. It really was. And very special that it took until 1960 for the first Navy veteran to be elected President of the United States. He was the first member of the Navy who had held that distinction.
1: Well, he was, and after, He was elected, LBJ was president, and he uh, was a naval officer. Uh, Richard Nixon was a former naval officer, and Gerald Ford was a former naval officer, and Jimmy Carter was a
0: former naval officer. Mm -hmm. And George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Well, you graduate from the academy having had that extraordinary bookend privilege of marching in the inaugural parade and then the the tragic uh, funeral procession. And you go into the nuclear navy, and I want to congratulate you because Secretary Del Toro has recently announced that there will be a Virginia-class nuclear submarine named for John that is being built by the Navy. And that is about the honor of honors to have that well
1: i I was so honored and Margaret can tell you the story of uh, of what happened that on that occasion, but it was a big shock, and I was overwhelmed and even our kids and one daughter-in-law and one grandson came to the Event and they had known about it for a couple of weeks and did breathe a word. Of it. <laughs> and uh, I I was overjoyed and really honored in in the nicest way uh, to have that
0: submarine named after me. Now you were a submariner as well. I was in the navy. Tell us about that experience and. I understand, or as I recall from reading, there was a story about a family tragedy that occurred while you were on the Calhoun. And I think that, that's an interesting sh- story to share. Well, I was uh,
1: on the USS Blueback, which is now, it, which was the last diesel electric boat the Navy ever built. And uh, it is at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, if you have plans to visit Portland, <laughs> you might see it. Uh, I, I recommend you see it and uh, after I, I, I didn't mention that I was selected to compete for a Rhodes Scholarship, but I didn't get it and none of them, the five of us got it. And. Uh, the Vietnam War was starting to get ugly and military people were shunned, <laughs> uh, as, to, to you, uh, as you would say. But uh, I really enjoyed it. uh serving on the uh, nuclear powered John C. Calhoun was the Nuclear submarine I served on, and uh, after after the Blueback, after I didn't get the scholarship, I applied to the nuclear power program, and had an interview with Admiral Rickover, which is unforgettable, <laughs> which I talk about <laughs> in the book, and
0: uh, you know the rest is history. <laughs> but there was a family issue that occurred while you yeah. were in Calhoun. Uh, that's
1: true. Prior to my last patrol, my niece died while at camp, and I wanted to go home to be with my family, and it was such a tragic incident that I applied for emergency leave and the captain said, we deploy in four days and I can't replace you in that amount of time, which is completely understandable, but I wanted to go home to be with my family and I couldn't because we were in Rota, Spain and about to deploy and uh, I completely understand, uh, understood his decision, but I decided to resign my commission and, and go back to school to get my MBA degree and I married the love of my life in my, in, while I was at Wharton and,
0: and I, you know, it was a great blessing. But you had known Margaret for quite some time. Yeah, that wasn't a new romance. Well, we
1: we met for the first time in high school, and I, I was slow to <laughs> recommend <laughs> I, to propose to her and. Uh, I did make the uh, the first date. And I said, "Mrs. O'Gilvy, what time would you like to have for me to have Margaret home?" And she said, "Oh, about 11, And and I got her home by eleven. <laughs> but uh, it was it was a romance that we dated off and on. Uh, for 11 years and finally pulled up. <laughs> I, I finally pulled the trigger and asked her to marry me. We, we've been married for 52 years.
0: Well, after the Navy and after Wharton, you had a career in finance with Goldman and doing some interesting things, but there came a time when the political bug bit and you had an opportunity to meet then Governor Carter before he was president. And that there was a spark that went off there. Share that with us. Well,
1: uh I met Governor Carter who was running for president uh in July of 1975 and he had 1% name identification at the time. And I sat next to him during lunch, uh, I was active in the chapter,
0: I was on the executive committee. This was a civic club meeting or something. Yeah, like a, a yeah. of
1: the Naval yeah. Academy I mean, chapter. Yeah. And uh, I said, Governor, we were both Southerners, we were both Naval Academy graduates, we were both Submariners, and we both worked for Admiral Rickover, and we just hit it off. And he said, I in his closing remarks, which were great, and he did well in the Q&A, he said, I want a government as good, as open, as honest, and as filled with love as are the American people. Mm -hmm. And that grabbed me and I said, I, I went home from work that day and I told Margaret, I had lunch today with the next president of the United States. I said, he's going to win and I'm going to help him. And I dove in with both feet.
0: And you've stayed close to President Yeah,
1: I have indeed. We were invited to his 75th wedding anniversary in Plains, Georgia. And it was great. And we visited with him the next morning at the Maranatha Baptist Church where he taught Sunday school for many years. And we had the
0: privilege of seeing him teach that Sunday school lesson three times. Well, let's fast forward to another presidency, that of President Clinton. And a phone call comes, and you're offered an extraordinary opportunity. What led up to that? And tell us about receiving that invitation from President Clinton. Well,
1: I was active in the Democratic Leadership Council when, when we were lived in San Antonio. And uh, he was chairman of the Democratic Leadership Council, you know, which was the more moderate wing of the Democratic Party. And uh, we, I got to know him well during that time. And uh, I, this is all in the book. But, you know, we hit it off as well and I got to know him well in the Democratic Leadership Council. And when he was elected president, he asked me to serve as Secretary of the Navy. And that was a great honor. And he told me he had had more people apply to be secretary of the navy than any cabinet position he had, and uh, and I enjoyed it. And I had the privilege of serving with Togo West, who was secretary of the army and later secretary of veteran affairs. And he's a wonderful man, he was a wonderful man, and,
0: uh, and I have to say, uh, Gail West and Hillary West are here with us this morning, and uh, Gail also has served on our board of directors for many, many years, and a great friend of our work. It's wonderful to see both of them today. So you became Secretary of the Navy, and you were Secretary for the entire Clinton presidency. Five
1: and a half years. Five and and half. the average term of a secretary is three years. So I, I loved it. I really did. It's the best job in government. That's
0: why so many people apply. I guess. <laughs> and what were the challenges you faced? What were the greatest challenges you encountered as secretary? Well, there's a long list. <laughs> There was
1: the Tailhook scandal which had happened prior to my getting there, and no discipline had been exercised, and women were really treated shabbily at the Tailhook convention. It was in Las Vegas, and even men wore t-shirts that said, women are property. I mean, it was it was disgusting. And I had the biggest cheating scandal in the history of the Naval Academy, and it was bigger than any other academy had had. And Congress had changed the law with respect to gays in the military and women in combat, and I had to, Deal with that, which was a real culture shock to the Navy, and uh, I administered that program as well as I could. I wanted to do it ethically, morally, and and uh, treat everyone with dignity and respect. And the. Uh, The end of the Cold War had happened, and which made promotion rates a lot lower than normal. And there was a big banner headline in New York uh, in the Navy Times, which read, "Navy morale at all-time low." Mm. Welcome aboard, Secretary (laughs) (laughs) Dalton. But I I loved the job, and it was not all uh, problems. Our two sons served in the Navy and Marine Corps. They voluntarily, and unbeknownst to me, attended uh, Officer Candidate School and got their commission in the Navy and Marine Corps, and I'm glad they did, and they're Police, as they serve as veterans today, and they are wonderful sons, and we have
0: four grandsons. We haven't figured out how to do girls yet. (laughs) And obviously, the Navy has continued to be an important part of your life. Absolutely. And do the secretaries of Navy through different presidencies, do you talk to each other? Yeah, we.
1: I have interviewed. Every president, uh, every uh, secretary of the Navy since I left office, and, and told him what worked for me and what didn't work. And I said, I'm for you, Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. I want to serve the Navy, and I've been on. 20 embarks since I left office, and I take 12 people, including myself, on embarks. Including every me, I'm grateful <laughs> to say. One time, yeah, well, great. thank you very much, Stuart, for going, and it's a great
0: experience. It really is. To see, uh, we flew out of Norfolk and landed on the a deck of a carrier and spent the weekend there and to see those young women and men doing their duty for our country and training for going into harm's way was really inspirational. And their average age was like 19 or 20 years old and it's really incredible.
1: It really is. They do a great job, they really do.
0: So even though you were no longer serving as um, Secretary of the Navy, you stayed connected with the Navy, but you had other endeavors that you were involved with as well in life. Tell us about a few of those. Well, I've
1: had two main jobs. I was president of IPG Photonics, which is a fiber optics company, and that required my commuting to Massachusetts every week, and I signed a four-year contract, but when the four years was up, I said, I'm not uh, applying for an extension for my, uh, to be extended, and uh, then I was president of the Housing Policy Council of the Financial Services Roundtable, which I really enjoyed, and I was in that job for 12 and a half years, and I retired in 2017, but I'm still on two boards and and help w- on boards with the like the White House Historical Association. And I'm pleased to work f- for you, Stuart. With, not for. <laughs> with. I work for you. <laughs> Well, it, it's a delight, and you've done a great job as our president. Thank you.
0: You really have. Well, when we talk about White House history, we often talk about the women who were the first ladies, and we speculate, would that man have been president if it had not been for that first lady? Would you have achieved all you did in your life if you had not <laughs> had <have> this <all laughs> Margaret? No question. I, I would
1: not have, and... Margaret is my claim to fame and I love her and devoted, devoted to her. And she did a great job for the Navy when I was uh, secretary. She used to c- take congressional spouses on embarks like you would, did and she did a wonderful job. And, and uh, one time, we were in Hawaii and we came home for dinner to change clothes and I I said how was your day and and she teared up and she she said we've got to do something about housing Mm -hmm. and she told me the story and where I said, when we get back to Washington, I'll ask you to come to the uh, briefing for housing. And uh, and the person that gave us the briefing said, I've never met a Secretary of the Navy, and I've certainly never given one a briefing. and. I had Margaret there and I I uh, was, took aboard what they told me. And I said, I wanna make an appointment with the Secretary of Defense and tell him about this. And I, I did and the Air Force was here, the Army was here, the Navy was here per capita spending, and the Marine Corps was at the bottom. And I said, we have to do something about this, Mr. Secretary, and before the end of the day, I had a call from John Deutsch, who was the Deputy Secretary of Defense. He said, the Secretary has decided to enhance your budget. By a hundred million dollars, the only question I have is, where do you want it to go? Do you want it all to go to every to Navy housing? I said, yes, sir, every penny, and 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 we turned
0: things around. For a- well, there are uh, very few couples in Washington that you. See When you see one, you don't. You always see the other. And that's true with you two. It was true with uh, uh, Gail and Togo as well, and really fantastic partners and fantastic teams, and uh, really uh, the West and the Daltons were certainly that, and it's an ex- exciting example to all, an inspirational example to all of us. We have about seven or eight minutes for questions. If anybody in our audience has a, a question, Margaret, you probably have a couple of zingers. You'd like to <laughs> Anybody have a question for Secretary Dalton? Yes, Yes, ma'am.
1: Congratulations on your retirement. What are you doing these days to enjoy yourselves after your long and uh, illustrious service to the government? And thank you for your service. And I look forward to reading your book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoy it. I really do. Well, uh, we, I'm on two corporate boards and numerous nonprofit boards, and I'm on two, two corporate boards, and we're traveling more, and we have two sons and four grandsons, and we like to spend time with them, and good life all. is good. 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 Navy football games. You want all Navy football (laughs) games. Anybody else with a question?
0: Yes, Yes, sir. John, China has a larger Blue Water Navy now than the United States. Right. Can you talk a little bit about your concerns uh,
1: about the competition in the naval space with the United States and China? I will be glad to, but I don't like to answer current events questions because I... I'm devoted to the secretaries who followed me, and if I give them advice, it's it's confidential. But uh, the British Navy or the China Navy is is uh, troublesome. They are building ships faster than we are, and. They're not as good as we are, but they're the sheer number of them is concerning to me. And uh, I don't bet against the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps.
0: We uh, began our conversation in talking about the quote with the three elements, uh, and it's in the title of your book, My Journey with. Family, faith, and friends to calm the storms of life. We've talked uh, quite a bit about family and friends, but let's close in sharing about faith and how that has been an important part of your life and career and your time in the Navy. Well, thank you, Stuart. I love St. John's Church.
1: We've been here as members uh, and were pretty good members. And uh, <laughs> well, uh, I uh, and we're now uh, members of the Washington National Cathedral, and the reason we're there is because John Claypool invited us to accompany him. Sam Lloyd was being made the dean, and. Uh, we went to his and uh, inauguration or uh, dedication, and he preached a great sermon, and uh, so it was much more convenient to where we live. And uh, we decided to join uh, the Washington National Cathedral. But, in response to your question, uh, faith has been a, a big part of my life for Margaret and me, and we have tried to instill those values in our children and grandchildren and I I think we're, my faith is very important to me and uh, that's, you'll read about that in the book and it is always been. And I love our, I love Jesus and I, I want to follow him and I would do the best I can. John, I used to sit behind you for years. Were you
0: born an
1: Episcopalian? No. I grew up in the Methodist Church, and when Margaret and I, she grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and I went to the Naval Academy, which uh, had the Book of Common Prayer, and we became Episcopalians.
0: Your brother-in-law. Very young that
1: uh, Yeah, my brother-in-law was a priest in the Episcopal Church, and one by one we all became Episcopalians.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for being here, John. Thank you for sharing your story and Margaret for being a, a wonderful partner with John on this journey that will continue, the journey continues. and. Uh, We have the rector here today, Rob, it's great to be here in the church, and we had spoken earlier about the president's neighborhood and our connectivity and friendship here, and what a wonderful church this is, not just for this neighborhood, but for the city of Washington and for our country as well. Thank you for your ministry that you have here. Well,
1: I I want to compliment you, Rob, for doing a great job at our former church, (laughs) And uh, you've done a great job, and uh, I appreciate it. And I have books for each of you. I'm they're gratis, and uh, I'm donating uh, money for the uh, t- steeple that's mm-hmm. being built. And- <laughs> It's beautiful. I know it will be beautiful. Uh, Thank you, Rob, for what you do, for leading this parish. Well, I, I feel like I should say a big thank you to all of you for being here, and a big thank you to you, Secretary Dalton. Thank you for coming back
0: and sharing these great stories with us.